Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on March the 19th, 2013. For newcomers, as always, please help yourself to the websites CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll see all the official sites listed there. Uh, they all have lots of audios for free download, and they all carry transcripts in English for print-up. And you'll see Alan Watt Sentient, Sentinel.eu there as well, and you can find transcripts in other languages for print-up too. Number two, you are the audience that bring me to you. If you can keep me going, then all the better. If not, well, that's life. And uh, to, do, to keep me going, basically, because I don't bring on advertisers as guests, I don't sell you lots of products, I don't terrify you, then say, so here's all the solutions, I'll cost you XX next, but it's all on sale. But, uh, so what I do is just sell the books and discs I have at cuttingtruthmedics.com to tick along and depend upon donations too. So for those who would like to keep me going, you can also go into the website, as I say, and see how to do it. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can still use personal checks and international postal money orders from the U.S. to Canada, send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal once again. As I say, too, you know, those who have never studied their histories will never really know what's happening because they're taught to live in the now, in the present, in the day, in fact. That's how bad it is now. You don't think towards the future. You live by the day. Most folk do. And um, if you don't understand uh, why we've seen this massive shake-up of the planet in so many different ways, you'll never really get it. All you'll do is complain and bitch to each other about what's happening, but never knowing the reasons why. And the powers behind it, the big foundations that set themselves up a 100 years ago, to alter, drastically alter and radically alter the world and, and re- reshape it basically into the planned society under the, the, the guardian class, the ones that decided that they themselves were the most elitist people, the wealthiest people that held on to their fortunes through generations, through special breeding basically. And therefore they had the right to run the planet properly. And all the ones down below, all the, all the, the, the careless, uh, chaotic bunch, that's everybody else of course, would have to get managed by professionals and experts from birth to death. And the whole idea of sustainability, all of this stuff came out of these big foundations that fund the non-governmental organizations that always come out demanding that uh, governments pass this law and that law and so on and so on and so on. It's all managed, and they are a parallel government. In fact, they're the, they are the real government, in fact, because they're not Royal Institute for International Affairs, another private foundation, uh, and the CFR, uh, who are backed heavily by the other foundations. They all work in concert together. It's just one group, you see. And they themselves also put prime ministers and presidents in for election, have done for a 100 years. So, And they have their own version of history, too, their own archives, since their own historians said that they were behind all the changes, including the wars of the 20th century, and before that, in fact, and no doubt behind the same wars today that are going on. So, you're looking through the planned future, 
And those in power always plan the future like a big business plan. And that's what you're living through, including with all their think tanks and, and their, the fact that they own the culture industries and so on. They can radically alter all cultures at the same time through a cultural change, through music, uh, through, through dress codes and so on, uh, behavior too, even your speech. Listen around you to the speech that's used. It's all from television, uh, dramas and so on, comedies. People copy what they see and they become what they see. And it's an ancient technique, very ancient in fact. And as I say, Plato talks about it too. So it's nothing new in it. It's just that today it's so perfected and they have such massive and uh, intensive communication with each other. The big boys at the top, they can really implement changes very, very quickly. Now the music's coming in, so back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and I've said many times over, we're always trained for the next thing and the next thing. We actually get trained how to accept things and how to eventually subliminate or in our minds. Actually, it does subliminate in our minds because we don't consciously think through things. We're being trained to accept this as certain things are inevitable, basically. And I can remember talking about uh, the last big bank crash, the planned bank crash, because they knew five years before it, it was all coming. All the big boys at the top colluded together. They had meetings. They knew they were too big to fail, so they just thought they'd go on a piracy binge. And uh, just rake the cash in as much, as fast as they could before all, it all had to, to stop. And, um, I remember too George Bush Jr. coming up uh, on mainstream television, which is a no-no in economics. And in economics, it's, it's all, be, it's like a casino, you understand. And the whole idea is to invest your money or bet your money, same thing. Uh, and it's got to be full of optimism, etc. And so it's the first law in economics. You never give bad news to the people. And yet they get the, prime, they get your, 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 the president of the United States to come out and say, oh, this crash, if it comes, it uh, could be worse than, than the Great Depression. Uh, and that was see, it's arranged that way. That's how they do it, folks. You see? And with this, uh, this stuff going on in Cyprus, of course, it's the same idea there. You're getting trained gradually. They pick a small country like that. And they get you used to the idea that it's eventually going to be the way as you get plundered from your excess wealth, as they call it. And, um, and they'll keep, they'll keep um, giving us a sliding scale downwards of what, what excess wealth is as time goes on. So they start with some of the ones at the top, and um, and as far a place far away, it's a little place, well, who cares about little old Cyprus, but the next place will be somewhere else and somewhere else until you're into redistribution of wealth, you know, from the ordinary folk to the big stinking rich bankers, because that's what they always meant by it. Anyway, it's just the former chancellor said, or Britain that is, uh, said Cyprus is doing everything that you should not do, exactly like Bush did, you know. Uh, after the tiny country decided to seize around 6.7%, uh, 75% of uh, smaller deposits and almost 10% from larger ones. The country is currently deciding where to make richer savers pay a bigger proportion of the bill. But Mr. Darling, that's his name, this is the guy who plundered Britain for the, the Chancellor, you know, the Exchequer, uh, said the whole idea of taking money from the ordinary savers is dangerous. He said EU, the EU should not be letting Cyprus blow apart the principle of protecting deposits under 100,000 euro as people will start pulling their cash out of banks if they fear this elsewhere.
elsewhere. Well, that's absolutely right. You know, if they get any sense at all, and you're, you're close to this place, well, who, who's next? Don't forget that it was Angela Merkel that targeted the country. And so you, here you have her, you know, basically deciding who is going to get blown apart, basically. Quite something, isn't it? There's power for you. Mind you, she's just a front person for the big banks. But it says, it seems to me uh, to make it more likely that if you're a saver in Spain or Italy, if you have a sniff of the EU or the IMF coming your way, you'll make your, you'll take your money out and you'll get a run on the bank, you told the BBC's Radio 4 Today program. So what they're doing is everything you should not do when you're trying to solve a problem like this, it says. It says, savers in other financially unstable countries such as Italy and Greece would not start withdrawing money immediately, but a run could trigger more easily. He said, I'm not suggesting that tomorrow morning everybody in Southern Europe is going to take their money out of the banks. He said, we saw with Northern Rock, everything can be fine on one day. And even though I said the government was standing behind the people's money, we saw queues grow and grow and grow because people thought they were doing the right thing, getting their money out. Once that happened, the darling said, it would be incredibly difficult to haul it back. He also criticized the EU for failing to bail out Cyprus in accordance with the principles of his banking union. He said its failures to do so, uh, the, uh, the whole concept starting to unravel. Actually, see, Cyprus was used just like um, Iceland was used by the bankers there. And, uh, I mean, they got 30, I think it's 30 billion uh, dollars or, or euros invested there in those banks. And, um, and also, it's only got a population of about 1 million people. But the most of the money is from outside. They say from the, the Russian mobsters, who will certain people who live in Russia anyway. So anyway, it says uh, financial experts have warned the, peop- the proposal to raid people's savings to fund a bailout for Cyprus sets a worrying precedent that could jeopardise the European economic recovery. What, what recovery? Yeah. The island's government is currently considering whether to amend the plan after a shocked reaction from the international community, including its major lender, Russia. All banks in Cyprus were closed yesterday for public holidays, but the government in Nicosia asked, uh, ordered them to remain shut until Thursday and fears of a potentially crippling run on the banks to withdraw the savings. So nothing is safe in any, in any bank, that's for sure, you know. And now, for those who don't know about uh, the clampdown on free speech and the so-called free press and what's really going on, I've mentioned before, for instance, that... Um, in Britain, uh, they got the Levison, started with the Levison inquiry into, uh, various, started off, of course, with all the scandals to do with, uh, hacking, uh, people's, uh, stuff by the big, uh, newspaper industry boys. But really, it's, it's to go elsewhere, this whole inquiry. The whole point of it is not to hit the newspapers, it's to hit everyone else that's got a site up there who's saying something without a license, basically. That's what it's for. And of course, the same thing in, uh, the same thing in Australia. And the same thing even in Scotland as well. So I'm sure across the, the British Commonwealth countries it'll all be the same as to rein in all the, the rogue people who are out on the internet somewhere and uh, giving out news. Anyway, this is David Cameron hails the deal on Levison as defending free speech without fundamentally wrong legislation for regulators. And uh, you can, I'll put this link up tonight, you can waffle through it. But the fact is, it's all speak. but the fact is they're putting it all through and they're going to have a special oversight committee with a top honcho that's unelected again who will decide what news gets out and what doesn't, who gets shut down, who doesn't, etc., etc. That's just what it is. It's all here, you know. And um, And also, 
Gillard, it says, uh, in Australia proposes Australian media laws overhaul and, um, including a watchdog to oversee complaints against journalists and new rules to prevent a further concentration of media ownership. And it says the, the changes were heavily criticized by media companies but didn't go as far as those proposed by the Finkelstein Review. So you're Levison in Britain and Finkelstein in Australia. A Levison style inquiry which was set up in the wake of Britain's phone hacking scandal. Well, this is the excuse they're using about it. This is the five-month review by former federal court judge Ray Finkelstein drew the ire of media companies last year after it proposed an independent body that would oversee press complaints and have powers to force outlets to issue apologies and correct mistakes. Instead, the Gillard government has proposed to allow the press to continue to self-regulate via the industry-funded press council. The Press Council's Oversight Committee, which deals with public complaints and can issue adverse rulings that are then published by the offending outlet. However, the Press Council will now see its, uh, now itself be overseen by a new independent public interest media advocate. So he's the big horn show who's in charge of the whole country. Who can say what? One person. The advocate to be appointed by the government after a consultation with opposition will have the power to punish journalists who breach standards and to lift exemptions afforded to reporters from privacy laws. An overhaul was triggered by Britain's phone hacking scandal, which received widespread coverage in Australia, prompted Rupert Murdoch's Australian newspaper group News Limited to conduct an internal audit to examine whether any hacking or bribery of officials had occurred, and so on. And anyway, this is the, the whole point of it, just, is to go after the, really the small people, believe you me. And it's going to be quite something else altogether. Because the, the one in Scotland, for Scotland, they, they actually say that the, it, it, it literally encompasses uh, bloggers, everybody, even, even Facebook, you name it. It's all to do with all media, any news at all that's put out there, but any individual that's not authorized is going to, going to get slammed. That's what it's about. And I'll put the one from Scotland up. It's more detailed about it. So things are really changing the way it's supposed to go. And it had to happen eventually. You knew it was all coming. And um, it says here, this is a Scotland one here, press freedom under threat as Alex Salmon, this is the guy who's a sort of little puppet for Scotland, on behalf of London, draconian bill threatens to censor anyone with an opinion. And this is from the Daily Record. And it says... Um, Simon, uh, yes, it's accused of plotting draconian laws that will have a chilling impact on freedom of speech and cost thousands of jobs. The First Minister wants to appoint a regulator with powers to sanction anyone who produces news, comment or celebrity gossip in print or digital. Simon hired an expert group headed by Lord John McCluskey. McCluskey's about 80-odd. He never was a good lawyer or prosecutor, and he just got bumped him upstairs because he was a high mason. To work out how Lord Leveson's plan to, to regulate the press could be adopted in Scotland. But the report branded Loch Leveson said the power of the regulator in Scotland should be beefed up to cover the web and publications other than newspapers. They also recommend legislation to cover Twitter and Facebook. Unlike the English system, Loch Leveson will regulate opinion pieces and even what they call scandalous gossip about celebrity. In theory, bloggers such as schoolgirl Martha Payne, who complain about her school dinners, could be hauled off before the regulator and fined. Even a local church magazine could fall foul of what Tory leader Ruth Davison described as the most draconian press controls in the Western world. The bill would make it compulsory for every newspaper to fund the new system. It will cost £1.5 million a year, mainly in fees to lawyers. It could signal the death of scores of local newspapers and cost thousands of jobs. 
And it says, the Leaves Inquiry into Press Ethics was held in the week of the phone hacking scandal, blah, blah, blah. But the Scottish move goes even further than the controversial recommendations made last year by Lord Justice Leveson. Uh, Scotland would face tighter control of its print media than the rest of the UK, where Leveson recommended a voluntary system of self-regulation. All written news material in Scotland, from the biggest national papers and magazines to the smallest church newsletter, would be affected. And if further departure from the recommendations, the rules would apply to all internet news media. It's very important you understand what's really happening here, because it's going to go across the whole world, you understand. And the EU is pushing it, and the UN will be pushing it too, you see. So uh, I'll come to the States shortly. I'm sure they've already got something they're working on too. And... Oh, the music's coming in, so come back after this break. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix. And also too, if you remember Mr. Manning, the guy who was arrested by the US government, he was in the military who released uh, various uh, emails and so on to WikiLeaks plus helicopter footage, them blasting away at journalists and so on, killing people. Um, he said here that um, the US army is like a child torturing ants with a magnifying glass. This is what he says. So this a speech freedom advocacy group was, has released audio of Bradley Manning's testimony about his motives for leaking secret U.S. government documents to WikiLeaks. And I think it was WikiLeaks that turned them in, too. It marks the first time the public has heard Manning's voice since his 2010 arrest. Defying the military's ban on making recordings at Manning's pretrial tribunal at the military court at Fort Meade, uh, the Freedom of the Press Foundation has released Manning's February account to the judges explaining why he exposed military secrets. It says, we hope this recording will shed light on one of the most secret court trials in recent history in which the government is putting on trial a concerned government employee whose only stated goal was to bring attention to what he viewed as serious governmental misconduct and criminal activity. Well, that's a no-no. You can't ever expose government misconduct and criminal activity. To criminals, that is. Well, unofficial transcripts of the, of the statement are available. It's the first time anyone outside the court has heard Manning's own explanation of how and why he gave the Apache helicopter video Afghanistan Iraq War's logo and State Department diplomatic cables to WikiLeaks. He says his actions, he justifies it with a firm belief that he identifies as U.S. government wrongdoings need to be exposed in order to spark domestic debate on the role of the military and our foreign policy in regard, in general, as it relates to Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and so on and so on. But he also says too, he, he just uh, is still uh, appalled by even the Apache helicopters guys opening fire and killing the civilians, including the journalists. He says the most Alarming aspect of the video to me, however, was a seemingly delightful bloodlust they appeared to have. And of course, I'm sure everybody's seen it. It's probably still up there. And, um, and they sure they are. They're, they're, they're just, it's all fun. Oh, yeah. Look at them blown apart. Oh, wow. And uh, unfortunately, it's true. It's just sick. It's sick, sick, sick. But remember, I said years ago, the big war machine will come back home. They always do. They're going to circle and end up back home and do the same back home. And you'll see these things in the future on your own soil. MI6 and the CIA were told before the Iraqi evasion that Iraq had no active weapons of mass destruction. 
And it's it's from BBC. It says here, fresh evidence has been revealed about how MI6 and the CIA were told through secret channels by Saddam Hussein's foreign minister and his head of intelligence that Iraq had no active weapons of mass destruction. Tony Blair told Parliament before the war that intelligence showed Iraq's nuclear, chemical and biological weapons program was active, growing and up and running, totally contradicting all their agents in Iraq, by the way, right in next to Saddam Hussein, by the way. A special BBC panorama program aired Monday night uh, detailing how British and U.S. intelligence agencies were informed by top sources months before the invasion that Iraq had no active weapons of mass destruction program and the information was not passed to subsequent inquiries. It describes how uh, Naji Sabri, Saddam's foreign minister, told the CIA's chief chief in Paris at the time, Bill Murray, uh, through an intermediary that Iraq had virtually nothing in terms of weapons of mass destruction. Sabri said in a statement that the Panorama story was totally fabricated. (laughs) However, Panorama confirms that three months before the war, an MI6 officer met Iraq's head of intelligence, Tahir Habush al-Tikriti, who also said that Saddam had no active weapons of mass destruction. The meeting in the Jordanian capital, Amman, took place before the British government published its now widely discredited Iraq weapons dossier on September 2002. And Lord Butler, who was the former cabinet secretary who led an inquiry into the use of intelligence in the run-up to the invasion of Iraq, tells the program that he was not told about Sabri's comments and that he should have been. Butler said the use of intelligence, there are ways in which people were misled or misled themselves at all stages. So anyway, they knew darn well that, again, uh, that was going to get a, a plausible excuse for the general public to get into war, and it's the same thing with Syria right now, as they keep saying, oh my, the chemical weapons being used, and so on. And of course, I'm I very, very, as it's got to be from the rebels outside, I'm sure. In fact, they've had articles out before, and even the heads of, of Syria said that to, to the United Nations a couple of years ago, that these rebels uh, will possibly use chemicals down the road, because they captured a, a factory actually use certain chemicals and you can certainly make rather nasty, nasty agents out of it. Anyway, I'll put this link up tonight. And, uh, but it's interesting too that the Pentagon is to replace mine clearing dolphins. Remember back well, years ago, there was a big hullabaloo because the US Navy was using dolphins to either plant mines uh, and um, on ships, on hulls, magnetic mines and so on. And things like that. But they're also using them for mine clearing, uh, over in, uh, the very, the Gulf there. It says the US Navy has used dolphins to help locate and some cases destroy sea mines for nearly 50 years. But now due to escalating costs and viable robotic alternatives, the sea mammal program is finally set to be retired. Not yet. Don't hold your breath. So back in the 60s, the Navy learned to exploit dolphins by tapping into their innate capacity for echolocation, a built-in sonar that dolphins used to track and identify enemy sea mines. But while the dolphins are treated well, they're still thought of as a system not unlike any other military technology. Best estimates indicate that the U.S. Navy has trained about 80 dolphins to detect mines as well as some sea lions. Actually, you remember previous articles back in the, the 70s, late 70s, and they're getting blown up as well. You know, that's caused all the ruckus. It's important to note that dolphins are not used to harm anyone, nor are they used directly to set off the mines, like the way the U.S. military used herds of goats to clear minefields in Italy during World War II. Isn't that disgusting? Eh? Poor goats, eh? Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix, and I've got a I've got a caller hanging on from Britain. There's Andrew from the UK. You're still there, Andrew? I am indeed, Alan. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's uh, my birthday today, and I wanted to share it with you, partly because, or wish my happy birthday on you, partly because I wanted to reassure you that the studies that I've done over my own years have brought me to a conclusion that undoubtedly civilization has reached very high levels and a pursuit of truth having studied your archives has led me to the conclusion that the work that you put in has allowed uh, connections to be made in my study of the truth mm -hmm. to be more um, more presentable. Yeah. Um, if you, uh, I've spoken to a few people about the way you present your information, and some of them find that you you go off on a tangent. And I have to explain to them there's a few fundamentals you have to accept when listening to your broadcasts, those fundamentals being, people say to me, oh, if civilization has got to this stage before, where's the evidence? I said, the evidence is there. Mm -hmm. There are academic papers where people have taken carbon datings of uh, cities 190,000 years old in South America, or um, the likes of uh, Graham Hancock have done a fantastic study on the Piri Reese map and other maps which show the Antarctic coastline or off the coastline of Ceylon as their heritage suggests the coastline used to be three times bigger than it is and when you use the studies of um, one of the universities in Bristol beginning with D which I can't remember in uh, Britain sorry beginning with D mm -hmm. where they've taken the technology to put the ice caps the sea level back on the poles it enables a map to be recreated of a coastline of the planet as it would have been with different ice caps. And lo and behold, you, deep, uh, you dive down into the sea and there is evidence of megalithic structures. There's no question in my mind that previous civilizations have existed. Incorporating or superimposing the lost continents of either Atlantis or Mu or Pan or, or whoever it may be, the ancient Vedic texts, uh, mm -hmm. if you allow some germ of truth to be in them, the weapon technology that could mm -hmm. burn the flesh off of elephants or uh, um, burn um, uh, silhouettes mm -hmm. of a man and a woman and a child holding hands. They're not running away. They're not in a panic. This is not a, a military overthrow. This is a... A, a, a radioactive or a, a technology that's burned mm -hmm. the silhouette of a, a, a family at peace being burned into the soil of the ground of these ancient cities mm -hmm. which have radioactive counts greater than that of 
recent um, nuclear disasters like Chernobyl bring to mind some of the weaponry that has only come to light in very recent years. If you, read, if you actually read the Vedas, they actually talk about, and you understand who in India. In I, India I heard you say before that it burns the metal. It, it burns the metal on 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 people. This is yeah. microwave technology. There's also there's recent. They actually, actually mentioned though, as I see in the Vedas, though that uh, the gods, the gods, of course, were the elites, the very high, high elites. In fact, even today, even the top gurus are still gods. Technically, a guru is a god. But they, they talked about them fighting each other at one point. And then India has a very, very old histories, uh, much, much older than most countries. And they do say that these gods use lights. They, they fought with lights that burned. That's right. That's true. That's innovators. And uh, they fought in the sky as well. And they have found those little things like aircraft, too. is quite amazing. They're, they're actually shaped and, and uh, with delta wings and so on. But the fact is, this stuff is, is recorded regardless whether we like it or not. It's there. And it's a big mystery to people uh, that uh, that there was these ancient uh, civilizations, and even uh, you find it in Solon. Solon was, of course, the uh, 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 an uncle of uh, Plato, and he had gone, or actually an ancestor of Plato. He'd gone over to Egypt, and the Egyptians said there uh, that. Um, uh, that you don't even know, you Greeks don't even know how old your own people are and how many civilizations have, have risen to very high heights and fallen completely and disappeared over the over the eons. That was back then, that's thousands of years ago. So, yeah, absolutely, there's been high, very high technology and civilizations in, in ancient times. And who knows how far we even are today with technology. Whatever we're told about, I'm sure, is antique at the very, very high levels. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but thanks for calling, and um, I'll carry on with uh, the, the the show and some other thing. But but yeah, there's not you can't just dismiss it. It's definitely a mystery, and um, there's a lot of data out there too. Plus all the sunken parts of continents, except especially off India too, and and the west coast of it. They've found the temples and and buildings underneath the sea, and many places even off Latin America's coast as well. So we can't just dismiss them and say we are the latest high civilization. We're not really. People have come and gone before through natural disasters and various other things and perhaps even brought it on themselves. But anyway, getting back to this, this um, articles here, the article here too, Piers Morgan. I often think about Piers Morgan because the name is partly adopted, I think, from, from a father. He's married twice or something. And... Um, it's a pity they didn't call him Joseph Piers Morgan. They could be J.P. Morgan. Eh? But it says here that uh, five employees who worked at the time, the Trinity Mirror Group, newspaper group, have now been arrested in connection with the celebrity phone hacking scandal, says Bloomberg. CNN uh, host Piers Morgan is a former editor of the Mirror and of the News of the World. The Rupert Murdoch paper says it was shattered when the scandal first broke. To be clear, Morgan has not been accused of any wrongdoing, but Bloomberg says a former Daily Mirror reporter later testified that hacking took place on a daily basis amongst the newspaper's show business reporters. Also mentions, too, that Piers Morgan says, I don't care how you get the stories, just get them. And so in other words, that's the go-ahead to get it any way that you can. And so I'll put this article up tonight, and... It goes through various things to do with with, uh, with Morgan and his advice to the staff and so on.
but so it doesn't matter, does it, really, anyway? Because it's it's got a, a, a really, as I say, the real agenda is to start licensing and and censoring all, all alternate media. That's the real point of it, isn't that something? And also this article too, it says, Syria tells the UN it would never use chemical weapons on its struggle, uh, on its people, warning that terrorist groups may resort to such weapons in the ongoing turmoil in the country. And that came out, that was in 2012 that came out, remember that. And that's, so, and the US has already said quite plainly if, if they suspected that Syrian government was using it, uh, they would invade them. The US would invade them. So it'd be crazy for the government to even think of using it because they know that the deal and they said themselves that they would never, ever under any circumstances use chemical weapons, be suicide for them. And it, what they said, two terrorist groups may resort to using chemical weapons against the Syrian people after having gained control of a toxic chlorine factory, the foreign ministry said Saturday. So this is back in 2012. Now remember, in today's article about this, this chemical getting used, they could smell chlorine. You could smell chlorine when these homemade bomb things came down, or missiles came down, and that sort of ties in what was said to you back then. So I'll put this article up too. And also to the Syrian Information Minister Omran al-Zubi has described militants' use of chemical weapons as a first act by the so-called opposition interim government, in other words, a part of the rebel government. The Syrian minister also said that Turkey and Qatar, which supports militants fighting against the government of President Bashar al-Assad, bore legal, moral and political responsibility for the chemical attack in the northern city of Aleppo on Tuesday. At least 25 people were killed, A6 others were injured after militants fired rockets containing poisonous gases and Aleppo's Khan al-Assal village. Women and children are reported to be amongst the victims. So you don't know what's real and what's not, but the fact is uh, something seems to be improved. But it says it right in this article here today. It says the air smelt strongly of chlorine. So as I say, go back to that previous article from 2012, that the rebels had taken over a chlorine factory. Remember that. And... He's an article too. Of course, there's no geoengineering going on, although uh, those who look up away from their, you know, their, their iPads and so on have been seeing it for since 1998 continuously. The geoengineering has been going on. But it says here, uh, this, this is a science article. Efforts to reduce carbon dioxide emissions worldwide aren't working. So some researchers think we may need to resort to spraying reflective aerosols into the upper atmosphere to shade the earth and cool it off a little. As I say, they've been doing it from 1998 continuously. The problem is we don't know how much about what this might do to the ozone layer or precipitation, amongst other things. Well, they've already had big studies that said that it could cause disastrous, uh, wild scale effects and so on, hurricanes, storms and so on, floods even. And we don't have laws to regulate geoengineering research to make sure someone doesn't do something stupid, like doing large-scale tests before we understand the impact of the aerosols. Well, they, well, they have, as I say, since 1998. They've been doing the whole darn kit and caboodle. And this is uh, an article in Science says that we need to establish a form of governance. Now, this is the whole point of this article here is uh, the big boys want a, a form of governance, their own governments on geoengineering research that will establish a moratorium on large-scale projects but allow science to go forward with small-scale research to better understand what geoengineering might do. Crucially, the article says we need to admit that something as controversial as geoengineering is going to need international laws. Well, they didn't borrow with that since they've been doing it since 1998. It's, it's quite amazing eh? that they pretend they've not been doing it. It's just thinking about doing it in the future so they want legal coverage. This is the whole point of it, folks. Because they're killing folk off, you know. You're breathing that rubbish in every day. 
Lots of them have died of pneumonias and it's, you can't heal, your lungs can't heal in heavily sprayed areas. Really highly irritant that the substances they're using. Highly. And also, this article here says, the great green con number one, the hard proof that finally shows global warming forecasts are costing you billions were wrong all along. I'll put that up again tonight, that one there. It won't make any difference, so keep going ahead with it. Now, this article here is important because it's written by John Pilger. John, he's awfully good. He's awfully good, although I think he's, he's really communist or Marxist. And um, it certainly is, but um, this says here, it's very good in what he says. It says things as they really are, because, uh, you, you know, the opposition always does. They're allowed to, if they're not in power. And it says, what is modern propaganda? It says, for many, it's the lies of a totalitarian state. In the 1970s, Pilger just met Leni Riefenstahl and asked her about her epic films that glorified the Nazis. Using a revolutionary camera and lighting technique, she produced a documentary form that mesmerized Germans. It was called Triumph of the Will, and it cast Hitler a spell. She told me that the messages of her films were dependent not on orders from above, but on the submissive void of the German public. Did that include the liberal, educated bourgeoisie, the middle class? Everyone, she said. So there you go. That's what you need for, for, for propaganda is, is submissiveness, you see. The submissive void of the German Republic. Now you've got the submissive void of the American, Canadian, everybody else around the world. Today we prefer to believe that there's no submissive void. Choices ubiquitous. Phones are platforms that launch every half thought. There is Google from outer space if you need it. A caress like rosary beads. The precious devices are born heads down, relentlessly monitored and prioritized. Their dominant theme is the self, me, my needs. Riefenstahl's submissive void is today's digital slavery. Edward Said described his, this wired state in culture and imperialism as taking imperialism where navies could never reach. It's the ultimate means of social control because it's voluntary, addictive, and shrouded in illusions of personal freedom, even though you have none at all. <laughs> today's message of grotesque inequality, social just, injustice, and war is the propaganda of liberal democracies. And it's true, we're probably liberal now, aren't we? By any measure of human behavior, this is extremism. When Hugo Chavez challenged it, he was abused in bad faith, and his successor will be subverted by the same zealots of the American Enterprise Institute, Harvard Kennedy School, and the human rights organizations that have appropriated American liberalism and underpin its propaganda. The story Norman Pollock calls this liberal fascism. He wrote all his normality on display. This is for Nazi goose-steppers, goose substitute the seemingly more innocuous militarization of the total culture. And for the bombastic leader, we have the reformer, Mank, blithely at work in the White House, planning and executing the assassination, smiling all the while. Whereas a generation ago, dissent and biting satire were allowed in the mainstream, today their counterfeits are acceptable and a fake moral zeitgeist rules. Identity is all mutating feminism and declaring class obsolete. Just as collateral damage covers for mass murder, austerity has become an acceptable lie. Beneath the veneer of consumerism, a quarter of greater Manchester in England is reported to be living in extreme poverty. The militarist violence perpetuated against hundreds of thousands of nameless men, women and children by our governments is never a crime against humanity. 
interviewing Tony Blair 10 years on from his criminal invasion of Iraq. The BBC's Christy Wark gifted him a moment he could only dream of. She allowed Blair to agonise over his difficult decision rather than call him to account for the monumental lies and bloodbath he launched. One is reminded of Albert Speer. Hollywood has returned to its Cold War role, led by liberals. Ben Affleck's Oscar-winning Argo is the first feature film so integrated into the propaganda system that its subliminal warning of Iran's threat is offered as Obama is preparing yet again to attack Iran. That Affleck true story, in quotation marks, is good guys versus bad Muslims, is as much fabrication as Obama's justification for his war plans is lost in PR-managed plaudits. As the independent critic Andrew O'Hare points out, Argo is a propaganda movie in the truest sense, one that claims to be innocent of all all ideology, that is, debases the art of filmmaking to reflect an image of the power it serves. The true story is that for 34 years the US foreign policy elite have seethed with revenge for the loss of the Shah of Iran, their beloved tyrant. They put him in, remember, the US, and a CIA-designed state of torture. When Iranian students occupied the U.S. Embassy in Tehran in 1979, they found a trove of incriminating documents which revealed that an Israeli spy network was operating inside the U.S., stealing top scientific and military secrets. That was all over the news at the time. Today, the the duplicitous Zionist ally, not Iran, is the one and only nuclear threat in the Middle East. This is in 1977, Carl Bernstein, famed for his Watergate reporting, disclosed that more than 400 journalists and executives of mostly liberal U.S. media organizations had worked for the CIA in the past 25 years. 400 journalists and executives in the U.S., your newsmen and TV guys. Back with more on this after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the meetings, reading an article by John Pilger, quite good in fact, as he says it like it is. Not that any communist government would be any better if they got in and we saw this slaughter through the Soviet era, just oh, multi-millions of people were slaughtered all over the place. To, to, to create a, a, a utopia for the future, that's always a story, you know. But they all use the same game anyway. But it says, yeah, 77 Carol Bernstein, famed for Watergate, reported disclosing that more 400 journalists and executives of most liberal U.S. media organizations worked for the CIA in the past 25 years. Included journalists from the New York Times, the Time Magazine, and the big TV broadcasters. These days, such a formal nefarious uh, network is quite unnecessary. In 2010, the New York Times made no secret of its collusion with the White House in censoring the WikiLeaks war logs. It says the CIA has an entertainment industry liaison office, and they do actually, they, they work totally, actually, you see who runs the CIA is it's got a lot in common with Hollywood. So it helps producers and directors remake its image from that of a lawless gang that assassinates, overthrows governments and runs drugs. As Obama's CIA commits multiple murder by drone, Affleck lauds the clandestine service that is making sacrifices on behalf of Americans every day. So I want to thank them very much. The 2010 Oscar winner, Catherine Bigelow, Zero Dark Thirty, A Torture Apology, was all but licensed by the Pentagon. 
The US market share of cinema box office takings in Britain often reaches 80%, and the small UK share is mainly for US co-productions. Films from Europe and the rest of the world account for a tiny fraction of those we are allowed to see. In my own filmmaking career, I've never known a time when dissenting voices in the visual arts are so few and silent. For all the hand-wringing introduced by the Leveson inquiry, the Murdoch mould remains intact. Phone hacking was always a distraction and misdemeanor compared to the media-wide drumbeat for criminal wars. According to Gallup, 99% of Americans believe Iran is a threat to them, just as the majority believe that Iraq was responsible for the 9-11 attacks. Propaganda always wins, says Lenny Riefenstahl, if you allow it, and ain't that the truth. It's true enough, you see. They understand that. Uh, I can remember the, the study they did in Canada uh, through a poll as well. But they did a study on, on American newspapers. And, of course, it was all to go into Afghanistan because of 9-11. That's where the, the infamous caveman was supposedly living. It was all fabricated, of course. But uh, And within a year, they, they gradually turned the sights onto Iraq. that had nothing to do with it. And uh, and they did a poll of American people then because the the, the propaganda is so effective. They, they thought that all along that Iraq must have been the guys who perpetrated it simply because they never reasoned anything through from the media. They got little bits and bites and it sinks into their heads through PR and uh, and propaganda. And that's how they get their ideas formed. It's it's, uh, it's through osmosis rather than reasoning. Sad that, but it works awfully waffly well. And as I say, that's, that is your system today. You need a submissive void of the people. I can remember too that, that uh, Aldous Huxley, when he talked to Berkeley in the 60s, he said that uh, we're working on ways so that the people will come to love their servitude. And unfortunately, so many do today. They really, really do. Love their servitude. Who says anything about servitude? Well, Charles Galton Darwin said the same thing too. And the next generation, where he says, there's always been slavery in one form or another, and we're in the process, we, the elites, were in the process of creating a more, a new, more sophisticated form of slavery. That was the 1950s he wrote that book. It's here, folks, and the folk don't even know it. A submissive void, and they love their servitude. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, may your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>